Aloha. No, aloha. I have no idea why I greeted you in that way. We're nowhere near Hawaii, but that's okay. Are you going to say something? Are you saying something this morning? Next week. Never mind. So how are you all? This is pretty loud, huh? Hello. Um, I was going to say something, but I forgot. Yeah, we're done. All right. That's all I got. I, I don't know. I guess it couldn't have been that good. All right, let's, uh, let's get into it. Got a lot to do this morning. We are going to actually finish a whole chapter today. I know, I know. Let me bring this up, see if it connects. All right, we're going to finish chapter two. Now, if you recall, before I begin, I usually pray, and I'm going to because I forgot to pray. Okay, let's go. God, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord, and, and for the word, your word, the word that brings life, the word that you have given to us for all of these years that we could see and understand and learn who you are and who we are. God, I want to thank you that you reveal yourself through these, these pages and continue to do so this morning. Lord, we all come in to this room in different places in our spiritual journey. pray that each person here would sense, embrace the grace of the Holy Spirit. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So now last week, if you recall... I poked a little fun at some people. We won't mention them by name. Uh, but I poked some fun at the prosperity gospel folks. That was kind of, I mean, it wasn't a sermon on prosperity gospel, but kind of brought them in and, and poked a few few holes at them. If you go back, if you weren't here and you go back and you want to listen to it, just know that your time to send me an email that I won't read anyway has expired. So, so don't, don't go there. Um, but, but what we talked about was that as the prosperity folk, as they teach, they teach this idea that God wants you to have stuff, more stuff, better stuff, good stuff. They, they, they come from this premise of a king's kid should not walk around in rags. A king's kid should not walk around in an, in an old house or in, drive an old car. But it's just not the truth. Because what happens is when people begin to grab hold of that gospel, which is no gospel at all. When people begin to grab hold of that, they begin to, 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 to uh, define themselves by what God has given them. They begin to form an identity of who they are by what God has given them. And, and so who they are as a follower of Jesus Christ becomes directly related to the things that God gives. And so, so the, the mentality could be, 
Well, you see, I have a lot of nice things. I drive a nice car. I have a big checking account. Therefore, I must have faith. Because what they'll tell you is, listen, if you want something, just name it and claim it and have faith that you'll get it. And so if I have all of these things, a big checking account, a nice car, a nice house, then obviously I have lots of faith. And look at, look at how God has blessed me with all of these things, all of my stuff. And in, and in the in, in direct opposite of that, many will believe that, well, I, I don't have those things yet. I don't have the big checking account yet or the nice car or the nice house. So therefore, I must be lacking in my faith. And or I'm being disobedient somehow to God and he's trying to kind of corral me in. He's trying to discipline me so I can get there so I can get these things. And so they begin to define themselves by the things that they have, by the things that they've done for God. And look how God has blessed me or not. They find their identity in stuff, in things. Identity is a very interesting idea because we start trying to figure out our identity very early on in life. There are, when, when you start going to school as a child, you know, you're in this class, you want to be friends with those people, you want to be on that team, you want to get picked for that kickball team at recess. And so you begin to adjust your personality. We try to figure it out. It's a search that, that all people come to. Whether you're Christian or non-Christian. In fact, I would say that there's people even as old as I am who still don't know who they are. They haven't quite figured it out yet. And it's, sometimes it's this lifelong search. And so we, so we try to change our personality to fit because we think that that's who we should be. God bless you. Or that's who we are. And I believe culturally, as we grow older... Who we are gets defined by either what we have or what we do. Ask many people, who are you, man? Who are you really? And they will tell you very, very often what they do. I own my own business. I'm a carpenter. I sell cars. I, I'm a landscaper. I'm a, I'm a pastor. And so we begin to define ourselves by things that in the grand scheme of things, don't really count that much in eternity. And this is, I'm talking about in the church. I'm talking about Jesus followers. We define ourselves by a worldly perspective. We define ourselves by the things that we might have or the things that we can have. We define ourselves by what we do. But let me tell you this. If you allow anything to define you other than Jesus Christ, that's idolatry. If you find your identity in anything other than Jesus Christ, it is idolatry because you've put something before Christ. You've made something other than Jesus the most important thing. In verses 9 through 15 in Colossians, Paul is going to begin to address identity, who we are, 
He's going to talk about Christ, and he's going to talk about us and what that relationship is, what it looks like. In fact, nine times in those few verses, he's going to use terms like in him, in Christ, with Christ. He's calling us, he's calling attention to who we are. And like I said, we're going we're to go through this entire chapter We're going to finish off chapter 2. So we've got a lot to talk about. So I'm just going to read a little. And then we're going to talk a little. And so on. Colossians chapter 2. 9 and 10. It says this. For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So we don't need to spend any more time talking about who Christ is. We spent weeks on that. And and chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, weeks on describing and talking about who Christ is. But what we see here is that those words, in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. And you might want to, I, I believe it's a little bit of a word play because he begins with, for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. He's talking about Jesus being God. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Fullness of what? Well, we can, we're going to see it's fullness of, of forgiveness and mercy and, and even authority. But I believe ultimately it's the fullness of grace. Fullness of the grace of God. Look at John chapter 1. Out of his fullness, Jesus, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. The fullness of God's grace, this amazing gift. And it's always continuous. It's never exhausted. It's never interrupted. It's, it's limitless. It doesn't know any limits. This is the fullness that you have been brought into. You know, we as human beings, we could think that we can get kudos or merit with God if we just follow the rules. And so if you know what the rules demand of you, just possibly you might be able to follow them. Let me tell you, that's probably the biggest joke ever. Maybe you get one and and, and that's it. And then when you get that one, you look around and look at those other people like, they're not following the rules. And, And I am. I got this rule today. And then you begin to get puffed up. Listen, we can't follow the rules or we wouldn't need Jesus. Okay? And so this idea of grace, fullness, brought to the fullness. And it's not based on our effort. It's not based on the things that we can do. And and and, and grace, grace is this thing that's... Man, I'm telling you, if you surrender to it, it will be the most mind-blowing adventure you'll ever be on in your life. It's in this, this adventurous thing. You can never predict where it's going to lead you. You can never predict what the blessings are going to come from it. And I will say this. You will never be able to predict what challenges it's going to produce in the life of a Jesus follower. But in that, we have been brought to fullness. It's, it's this ever deepening experience of God's presence and you in Christ have been brought to fullness of grace. Do you see where your identity begins? 
It begins in the grace of God. Verse 11, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. In him, in him. Circumcision, as it's kind of laid out in the book of Genesis, was an outward mark of the covenant people of God. It was given to Abraham, and uh, God said that you need to do this. It was a physical sign of a reality that God was entering into a covenant with certain people. And the process was they would remove a piece of skin from a male when he was about eight days old. And I don't think we need to go into much more detail than that. We'll kind of let it just stay there. And it was this outward mark. It was a procedure done with human hands. It had to be done because it legitimized you as one of the covenant people of God. If you were not circumcised, then you would not be in the covenant that God has introduced to Abraham. This was the mark, the external mark of the covenant people. And so without it, you weren't accepted. Now, as we move through the Old Testament, as we get to Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 10, Moses begins to call for something a little different. He's talking to Israel. He's kind of tired with the, with the people because they're a stiff-necked bunch. And he says to them, I, I wish that you would just circumcise your hearts. And stop being so stiff-necked. And it's this idea that he's asking, man, I wish, you know, you, you're, you, you have this outward sign that you're God's people, but inside there's nothing. I wish that God would get a hold of your hearts. I wish that you would just surrender your heart to him, that you would circumcise your heart. Something different is begin to take place, something more mature, something of a, of a deeper idea in the relationship between God's people and him. No longer is it just going to be a symbolic, physical symbol that people will wear. And now Paul is moving it into something very different. And here's the truth, that in Christ, you have become this covenant people. By grace, through grace, by faith, you have become his covenant people. Not anything you've done, not anything that you've accomplished, not because you think you deserve it, not by your behavior, not by your morality, not by your ethics, not by how good you are, not by how much you do in the church, not by how much you do outside the walls of the church. It is all in Christ. And he has completely, inside and out, marked you as his covenant people. See, on the cross, Jesus didn't remove a physical piece of skin. He has removed all of the worldly, fleshly, sinful nature and desire of us the old is gone and the new has come with and, and 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 the old is gone with all of its darkness and all of its sinfulness it's been taken away it's gone and you might be thinking well uh-oh sometimes i mess up yes you do but see you've been brought to fullness and in that fullness god will slowly 
Slowly he will walk you to this place of sanctification one step at a, at a time. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and not be in the process of being transformed. It is, it is the mark of a follower of Christ that he is transforming you into his likeness. And it's slow, and it's a lot slower than we would like to think. But you've been brought to the fullness, and you, are, you can walk in that. The old is gone. The new has arrived. And now you're in this new covenant. Jesus Christ, done completely by his work and not ours. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. You know, the idea of, of baptism is this dying with Christ. We just had one uh, last week. Daniel was baptized, and the words that I speak are buried with Christ and raised again to new life. It's symbolic of what has already taken place in him. And Christ has, through him, through the cross, we have been raised to new life. And so all of my darkness, the darkness of my heart, the sinfulness of my heart, that was nailed to the cross with him, and that's where it has died with him, and in his resurrection, I am raised again to life. All of that stuff is gone. And I have new life, whole life, abundant life. It is the awakening of my soul by the power of the Holy Spirit to the things of God. And it's nothing that I did or accomplished on my own. This is about the righteousness of God because I possess none of it. I am not righteous, not even a little bit. But because of Christ on the cross, I now have his righteousness. It's the gospel. Jesus dies, nailed to the cross, takes my sin, and what do I get? I get his righteousness. He takes my sin, I get the righteousness of Christ himself. And that is the new life that we walk in. That's your identity. That's what defines you. Let's go on. Lots of verses today. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. I love that. He forgave us all our sins. He forgave us all. all. In the Greek, that means all. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. Do you see it's nothing about you and it's everything about him. You have been forgiven because of Jesus by faith by grace, you have been forgiven because of the cross of Christ. All of your sin. Some of you are holding on to stuff right now. You shouldn't be. Because you have been forgiven. 
and it's just a, the ploy of the enemy to hold you back and to hold you down. All of your sins have been forgiven and you have been made alive. You no longer stand condemned before God. You are no longer condemned before God. The sentence that he has imparted on you is freedom. You have been set free from the wickedness and sinfulness of your own heart, past, present, and future. I've said this a thousand times, and I will say it until the Lord takes me from this position in front of this church. God, Christian, God is not mad at you. He's not waiting for you to mess up so he can reel you in. He's not waiting to to just give you a little holy discipline. He's no longer angry with you. Why? Not because you deserve it. You deserve death. I mean, that's what you deserve. But because of Christ and the cross, your sin has been canceled. The debt has been paid. And you walk in freedom. Because of grace. Because you've been brought to the fullness of grace. You've been made alive with Christ. Passion. Abundant. Life, not abundant, you got the nice car and the big checking account. It's that, it's that inner abundance of life and life till its fullest. That's your identity. That's what defines you. And they'll go on, he'll talk about, and having disarmed the powers and authorities made, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He's talking about spiritual forces So in light of the cross, our sin, our debt is nailed there. And Christ has disarmed the powers and authorities, the spiritual realm. I would even, I don't want to freak anybody out, but it's the demonic realm. He has overcome them publicly, made them look to be what they are, weak losers from the cross. That's what Christ has done. The darkness that seems to rule this world has been defeated. By Christ on the cross. Last week, I, I touched briefly on this idea, and, and it wasn't my idea, actually. Uh, I, believe it, um, I believe C.S. Lewis said it, that in, in our culture, we, we take two stances when it comes to dark spiritual forces, demonic spiritual forces. We either say, everything is of the devil, and we spend way too much attention trying to focus on the devil. And so... Anything challenging that happens, anything bad that happens, I'm being attacked by the devil. I used the example of a woman who told me that she fell asleep at her computer because the devil did not want her to go to that prayer meeting. And I said, well, maybe you're just tired. You know, and so and so anything become, you know, you stub your toe on the coffee table because the devil wanted you to swear in the middle of the night. And, and, that's, and so we spend way too much time. And the other extreme is we don't recognize it at all. We don't recognize that there are demonic forces battling for your very soul. And we just kind of just kind of poo-poo all that out there. And, you know, we, we don't like to think about that. It's kind of scary. It, it kind of it freaks us out. But the truth of the matter is that they are there. They are out there. And though Christ has defeated them on the cross, they haven't been fully sentenced yet. And so they are free to actually come and, and oppress Christians. Now, I, I didn't say possess, I said oppress. We got no Linda Blair thing going on here. Uh, if you see anybody throwing up, that means they probably have a stomach bug and just stay away. 
Though I will say, if anybody's head tw- spins around, see one of the elders, just leave me out of it. But, but so, so I'm talking about oppression. I'm talking about a pestering. And I believe it's the, the mentality of our culture that, that we just don't like to think about those things. Just, we just kind of just let it stay out there. I, I don't see it. I don't need to worry about it. But I'm telling you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you can be pestered by these things. And, and we can actually open the door to that oppression. I know many people who claim to be Christian and they worship Jesus, but then they go home and they pray to their spirit guide and then they got to hug a tree because they want to worship Mama Earth because she created the tree. Let me tell you, if you worship anything but Christ and Christ alone, it's idolatry. And idolatry finds its foundations in demonic spiritual activity. And so you can open the door to being oppressed by those things. Habitual sin can open the door of oppression for the Christian. That says, it's, you know, I know what the Bible says. I know what Christ wants me, but I don't care. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it all the time. We can have another conversation of whether or not you're actually saved another day. But, but, but in, even in that, you can open the door for oppression, a pestering. I was going to say, like, listening to Beyonce opens the door for oppression, but I won't say that. (laughs) There's even ways that that oppression can come onto you and you have nothing to do with it. Generational curse. It's in the Bible. Read it. Even a curse put on you from somebody who is worshiping something other than Christ's. Ask missionaries. It happens to them all the time. Other pastors in those countries, it happens to them all the time. If you talk to Miguel Heron, uh, he's the founder of the Children's Rescue Mission in Honduras. Around where the mission house is, they have a big wall. And he's many times, he has found cultic symbols where people have had rituals to try to put a curse on the mission home and the things that they are doing for God. He's found them on the outside. So th- it's, a, it's alive and well. You can be oppressed by the demonic. Can I be any more clear than that? You can be oppressed by the demonic. But here is the good news. Here is the good news. In Christ, in Christ, you do not have to be a victim because in Christ you are a conqueror of those things. In Christ, you are a conqueror of those things. You have been given the power and the authority to speak at them, to to expel them, to call them for what they are, to cast them out, and to walk in freedom. You can speak blessing and protection over your children, over your home, over your spouse, over other people. You have the authority because of Jesus to come against those things. I I pray in that authority all of the time in my house. I I, I go into my children's room and I pray those prayers in the authority that's been given to me in Jesus Christ. I I, I don't do it with them in there because that would just freak them out. And I I don't think you should do it either. Lord, please watch Megan's room. Let the devil not get a hold of her and drag her to hell. I mean, those aren't prayers your kids want to hear, okay? But you can just go in there and you can just pray that and claim that room by the Holy Spirit for the purposes and the things of God. And anything that is not of Jesus Christ is cast from that place. That's your authority. 
That's who you are in Christ. I know what authority I have. Because I know who I am. In the morning, Ethan and I hang out. And I get him off to the bus. And almost every morning, I just pray a blessing over him. Mainly that he doesn't get in trouble. But I mean that Lord would protect him also. I pray a blessing over him. I sneak blessings on Sandy when she's sleeping at night. She doesn't know. Now she does. You have that authority in Christ. My prayer is that you begin to understand who you are. You are not defined by the things you have or what you do. You are defined by Jesus. Now we're going to we're going to read a bunch and we're going to finish this up. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. There's a couple things that are going on in these last few verses of, of Colossians chapter 2. And one I believe that we really need to, to talk about is you do not find your identity in your religious activity. You do not find your identity in the things that you think you're doing for God, your religious practices, because those things don't save you. And so tradition and ritual, if they're not deepening your affections toward Jesus, it's a waste of time. You're doing it all for the wrong reasons. Those things are to deepen our affection, our desire for the Lord, lead us closer to him. And if you're just going through the motions thinking that it's okay if I just do this and I'm good, it's not the case i'll say it even this way that some people maybe even people in this room think that they are christian think that they are saved just because i go to church and it's not the truth church doesn't save you jesus christ saves you your religious duty doesn't save you jesus christ saves you it's not the external stuff we've already seen it it's not what you can produce, what you can do. It's, it's the circumcision of your heart. It's the inward transformation that God is, is, is doing inside of you. People who think they're good with God because of the things they do, they make their faith all about them and not about Christ. And then, and then I believe what he's talking about in here also is, is spiritual gifts and, and not just not just the... I mean, the really spiritual gifts, like the, the words of prophecy, the gift of tongues. And, and people tend to elevate themselves up and say, if you are not able to speak in tongues, if you are not able to prophesy, then obviously you have a lesser spirituality than I have. And, and, and it puffs them up. And this is, this is in relation to the whole false humility that he's talking about here. They are using them, they're using their gifts to make much of themselves and not much of who God is. And that's idolatry. 
Your spiritual gifts don't save you. Only Christ saves you. And, and so your spiritual gifts and your religious practices and coming to church, if they can't save you, then they should not be defining who you are. You know, one of, another one of the reasons why we have so many crabby Christians, not in this church, but other churches I've heard, is it's because, because people are always trying to do stuff for God, thinking that they're just going to get some great big reward here, and it's going to be really good for them. And it doesn't work out, but they're not going to give up because they're still going to do stuff for God, and they just get into this, this angriness toward Him because He's not keeping His end of the bargain. And they become embittered, angry, you don't want to be around them type of Christians. Because they've missed the point of grace. They've missed how much they've actually been forgiven in their own life. And they think they have to produce to get God to like them. If that was the case, God would not like any of us. All right, we're getting there. I told you I'm going quick. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world... Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual desires." So all these types of teachings, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, do this, do that, you have to, you should. Oh, don't do that. All of those false identity makers that we kind of cling to, they are based on human teaching. Do you see how Paul loops it back to what we talked about last week? Don't get fooled by things that sound good but are actually not of God. It goes right back to where we were last week. You cannot work your way into your identity of who you are in Christ. You cannot perform your way into your identity of who you are in Christ. You have been called by him and you receive his identity in him. You are in him. You are with him. You are in Christ. My prayer for you this morning is that you will begin to understand who you are. My prayer for you this morning is you will begin to understand what defines you. What really defines you? It's not your job. It's not your house. It's not the car. It's not the checking account. It's not even church and all your religious busyness. Those things don't define who you are. Your identity is that you have been brought to fullness in Christ. Your identity is that you are now, because of him, his covenant people. And he will continue to transform you from the inside out. In him, you know new life and abundant life. In him, you have been forgiven for all of your sin, past, present, future. And you can walk finally with your head held high and your shoulders back. And you can walk in that forgiveness in him. In him, you can walk in the authority over 
dark spiritual forces that are still in this world. You do not have to be scared. You do not have to cower over them. You have been given authority in Christ. And in him, in him, you no longer have to be so busy trying to be religious. Trying to do all of these things that we in evangelical America make you think you have to do. You have to go to church. Well, you have to go to church. You have to. (laughs) Nobody's here next week. I'm preaching to the clock. Uh, But you have to do this, and you have to do that, and you have to, and you have to. And it's just this crushing weight that God doesn't put on you, that you end up putting on yourself. You no longer have to have a religious performance because you are in Christ. And that is enough. God, I want to thank you for our identity in you, who we are in you. I pray that we would understand that. I pray, Lord, that as we all wrestle with different parts of who we are, I pray that you would just be very clear in your grace and your mercy and that you would begin to reveal to us our true, true identity. Thank you that you love us so much. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.